TheYeshiva.net. So, we have been immersed in a uh, in a very profound discussion. And to summarize what we have learned in the previous classes, and I'm now summarizing what we learned in the previous class, not in all the previous classes. You can hear the classes from last week. In the meantime, you can also open your source sheets. If you go to theyeshiva.net, T-H-E-Y-E-S-H-I-V-A.net, N-E-T, you can go to the source sheet. I also posted it in chat, in the chat of the Zoom. But uh, if you're not on Zoom, you go to the yeshiva.net. Look what the Sicha is Menachem of. This is class number four. And you'll be able to open the source sheet both above the video and below the video. We have a source sheet above that opens on the screen and a source sheet below that you can download on the computer or print out, which may be easier. So very briefly, the point of last week's class is that the Baal HaTanya, the Alter Rebbe explains that there is a major fundamental difference between the soul of a Jew, the neshama, and the guf, the body. The soul is defined as a chelik eleika mimal. In Tanya, he even adds the word mamash, which means, so to speak, a piece of Hashem, or a fragment of the divine, or a ray of infinity. It's the light of Hashem, it's compared like to a child's relationship to a father, to a mother. The child is a continuum of the parent and is, is completely united and very deeply connected to the parent. That's the soul. And the soul, this is its nature. This is the stuff of which it's made of. It's divine stuff. It's a lakus. It's a chelik alikamimah. The guf, in contrast, the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya writes in chapter 49 in Tanya, is nidme bechumriyusay l'gufa yomasayilam. At the surface, it appears just like the body of any other uh, physical human being. There's nothing unique about the guf, about the body. It's just physical matter composed of the same materials like any other body, any other human body, Jew or Gentile, and many similarities that we humans even have to the animal kingdom. Not in shape or in character, but in DNA, there's so many similarities. Comes the Alter Rebbe and Tanya and says that when we speak about Pchira, Hashem's choice, we say every morning, Uvanu v'charta, you have chosen us, this is referring primarily to the guf, to the body. Not just to the soul, but actually more to the body, to the guf. Why? Because choice represents the fact that there are things to choose from. So you choose this versus this. So if there's two houses, I can choose one house over the other house. Two jobs, one job over another job. Two cars or two computers, one car over another car, or one computer over another computer. 
But that's because what I'm searching for, there's more than one option. If there's no more than one option, there's no choice. <laughs> if you need a pair of pants, like it used to be, you know, where you, you came into the store. I think somebody wrote a book about this called The Art of Choice. If you came into the store, there was one pair of pants. <laughs> so you didn't have a choice. You went home and you were happy. Today, how many types of pants do you have? Yeah, you have dozens of types. So everybody goes home upset because you chose this, but maybe that was better. You chose that. If there was one type of computer, one type of car, shine, you go in and you take it. Choice by definition means there's more than one option. That's why when there's many choices, people don't get very happy. They actually get upset because they feel, ah, I should have had that. I, I come home feeling that I don't have. I don't come home feeling that I have. Okay, but that's just parenthetical. Things that are completely not on the same wavelength, if I'm looking for pants and I go into the store and they're selling pants and they're selling shirts, one type of pants, so then there's nothing to choose from. There's only one type of pants. So the Alter Rebbe says, by the soul, there's no bchira, because there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. There's one type of soul that's a chelik alikamimam. There's other types of souls, there's other type of spiritual energy in the world. You have angels. You have the souls of every of every human being, Gentiles. You have the soul of every animal. You have the soul in matter. You have the soul in every tree. But this type of reality, this is the neshama. So what's there to choose? If you want this, you want this. If you don't want this, you don't want this. It's not bchira. That's what Alter Rebbe says. Amazing. The guf. That's where there's bchira. Because the guf is It's more than one pair of pants. There's a lot of types of gufim. There's a lot of houses that are similar. There's a lot of cars that are similar. Which pair of pants are you going to get? That's a good question. But there are options. And because there's options, you could talk about bchira. You could talk about choosing from. With By the neshama, you can't talk about bchira. This is what it says in Tanya. Fashtest. Once again, you have to say that louder. What? What does it mean to choose by the neshama? I can understand choosing by the good. What- good question. So that's the point, that by the neshama, it's not a choice. If this is what you want, you're not choosing. Choosing represents at least the simple word of it, that there's options. But if there's only one type, again, I come into the store, forgive my uh, brute example, but if I come into the store, right, I need pants, and there's only one type of pair of pants, one type of pants, like it used to be in the olden days. <laughs> I got nothing to choose from. Now I come in, oh, you got 40 options. <laughs> you got 40 options, you got to choose. If there's one type, if you want pants, there's nothing to choose. If God wants the neshama, the neshama of a Jew, there's nothing to choose from. <laughs> it's unique. <laughs> It's a one type of pair of pants. There's no other type of neshama. It's a chelik alikami mal mamash. The goof, there's other types of pants. Now there's options. So now there's bchira. Verstehst? The goof is nidme bechumri yusay legufa yomasailam. Those are the words he uses. Nidme, it's similar. In its physicality, it appears identical to any other goof, to any other physical body. And yet, as it says in Zohar, Gufa de Lohain Kadisha, the Guf, the Guf was chosen. The Guf is sacred. The body is sacred. Not just the soul. The physical Guf. Over there says the Alter Rebbe is Pchira. This means, this brings us to step two. This means that the Guf 
has a maila even over the neshama. This means that the guf has something that in a way is deeper than the soul. Why? He says because the guf is somehow connected to atmos. Atmos means the essence, the core essence of God, the core essence of Hashem. The neshama, as a neshama, represents more, it manifests the divine energy, the divine radiance, the divine glow, the divine light, divine infinity. He says, the guf and the physical body of the Jew, which we say Hashem chose, Bacha Hashem, this is connected with Atzmos Mamash, with, with the essence itself, the essence itself in the deepest way. Why? Why? So here the point was that really, what does choice mean? What does choice mean? Um, and I'm going to say this very briefly. It is very deep, and uh, I'm not sure I uh, wrap my brain around this myself, but I'm just sharing, you know, at least one aspect of it, but there is uh, there are infinite layers here, and we can go deeper and deeper, but just one aspect very briefly. By the way, we're on page 219 in the source sheets. That's where I'm quoting from. I'm just translating it to English. When we speak speak about choice, we all have choices, right? Everybody makes choices. I can choose, should I have a coffee this morning? Should I not have a coffee this morning? Uh, Should I go to shul this morning? Should I not go to shul this morning? Should I take a walk this morning? Should I not take a walk? Everybody makes choices constantly about small things, big things, consequential things, inconsequential things. But we don't call that There's a difference between choice and free choice. Real choice, authentic choice. Ultimately, <coughs> choices that we make are based on our nature or based on a judgment call. Right? Different people have different natures. You have your own unique sequence of DNA. You have your own nurture. So between nature and nurture, you make certain choices. And other people make different choices or opposite choices. Sometimes the choice will be made make, made by a judgment call. In other words, you have to weigh the options and see what makes more sense. Short term, what makes more sense long term. And if somebody's prefrontal cortex is developed well, they can certainly have long term vision and reflect and ponder. And even if instinctively I want something and I crave something, I can make choices. But those choices, even though they're very important, and they're the, they are like the stuff of life, this is what we live with and what we're aware of, nobody could say that this is free choice. F- completely free, not influenced by anything. By anything. No, on the contrary, it's influenced by so many things. It's influenced by how my brain works, and it's influenced by my nature, and it's influenced by my nurture, and that's why I make these choices, and that's why you make different choices. So there's choices that we make, but to say that the choice is divorced from any influence outside of me, of course it's not. It's, it's, it's certainly defined by influences outside of me and inside of me. My genes, my nature, the way I was molded, the way I was crafted, the way I was influenced by my parents, by my schooling, by my home, by my environment, by my family, by my experiences, and by my nature itself, even pre-experiences. That's what we say, nature and nurture. 
And even when I'm using my mind and I'm trying to figure out the right thing to do, I'm using my mind to figure out the right thing to do. So that's a, a judgment call based on how I understand things, how I see things, how I view things. So I'm preconditioned already to ultimately go this way. Real choice, real choice comes only when there's absolutely nothing that influences me. Nothing. So where can real choice happen? Only in Atmos. Only in Hashem's essence. He says, Again, he quotes the Tanya, Igeris HaKadosh, chapter 20. Hashem's essence has no antecedent, has no precedent. Nothing brings him into being. Nothing creates him. So nothing defines him. Nothing molds him. Nothing crafts him. There's no fixed identity or mold. So nothing influences him. He's not defined in any way, not by a gene, and not by nature, and not by nurture. There's absolutely nothing that serves as a cause to him. So there's no cause to him. So if there's no cause to him, so who is Hashem? There's no definition. There's no feature to define him, to describe him, to limit him by. So over there, there can be real free choice. Choice without anything influencing him. So where does the choice come from? The choice comes from that this is his essence. This is who he is. This is really who he is. And here we have to be careful because the word choice becomes a problem. When we define choice, it's like a whim. Okay, you chose this, you could have chosen this. So why do you choose this? Because there was something in me that influenced me to choose this, not to choose that. When you speak about Hashem, there was nothing to influence him to choose this or chose not this. So why did he choose this? So the, re- the answer is there's no why. <laughs> there's no why he chose this because he's not defined by any why. He doesn't have to fit in to a particular form of logic. So when you say Hashem chose something, it's really another way of saying that this is who Hashem is in his deepest core. This is who Hashem is in his deepest core. There's no Hashem without this. Not because he's forced. Not because (laughs) this is his nature. Because you're not talking about something that has and is defined by nature. But you're talking about the fact that in his deepest, deepest core, in his deepest space, in Atmos, this is what Hashem is connected to. And this then is the beauty and the amazing quality of the guf even more than the neshama. The neshama could be compared to a father and a son. A parent's relationship with a child is is absolute. And it's infinite. There's no question about it. It's based on nature. It's based it doesn't have a reason. It's not like if the child is giving you nachas, you love the child. And if not, not. That's not a father and a child. The love is unconditional. It doesn't have a reason. But it has a cause. It has a cause. And that cause is nature. If you weren't my child, <laughs> I don't know if I would be able to put up with this. <laughs> it, doesn't have a, it doesn't have a reason. It's not logical. It goes beyond logic. The love of a parent to a child goes beyond logic. But it certainly has a cause. And that causes the nature of a parent and a child. And that's why something tragic can happen. 
A child can unchoose a parent. It's very sad. But the child could say, I'm not going to follow my nature. I'm going to disconnect from you. You're not my father. You're not my son. They're going against their nature and there's a lot of pain there and it's a very tragic situation. But they can do it. Because their choices can go deeper than their nature. That's what choice is. My nature says this and I chose to choose otherwise. The relationship between Hashem and the Neshama is a relationship between a parent and a child. It's based on nature. The Neshama is a chelik elekamimah. The guf, the guf of a Jew, he says, this is pchira. What do we mean by pchira? This is atzmus himself. You can't unchoose it. This is essential. In the most absolute way, Hashem is connected to the guf of the Jew. Ubanu b'charta, this is my pchira. And what does pchira mean? Pchira means it's not even nature. It's not nature that dictates it. And therefore, it's limited to my nature. And if there's an I beyond my nature, I can choose to go beyond my nature. No. Pchira is in the deepest place of I. Wherever there's an I, that's where the Pchira is. Because Pchira means it's not influenced by anything external. It comes from the deepest sense of self. So it's as though we would say, there's no place in reality where you're not going to have God, right? It's not like, there's not going to be a world where you won't find God. There won't be a world in, you, in, in which you won't find a Jew. There's no, just like there's no reality outside of God, there's no reality outside of Hashem's choice in the Jewish people. Because this is, so to speak, part of who Hashem is. And that's what the word Bechira really means. So really, if you want to say it, if you want to say it this way, there's, there's choice. The deepest choice is when you're free from all choices and from all distractions just to be who you are in your deepest space, even outside and deeper than your nature. And that's what Pchir is. Pchir is where I am, what I'm connected to in my deepest place, outside of any influence, outside of any limit, which, which would limit it, even an influence as powerful as nature, which ultimately is my nature, and therefore it's limited to nature. My nature is limited, and therefore the choices that come from nature are limited. But real bhira is I'm free from any choice because I'm in touch with that essential eye that is absolutely connected to this. So now let's see further inside Page 219, the second, second column, the left column, the second paragraph. Un afal pi, as pchira kumt in gansin mitzad haboicher, nit mitzadem dover hanifcher dem guf. Vibaldo bed as de pchira is pchira sa atzmus, vertus kevayachel metzias ha guf. Vorem vues vert nimsche chatzmusa yisbarach is nitschayach as obliben at fissus mokem zu an inyen chutzbe menuchasmusalo. What this means is that Pchira is something that completely comes from the one who chooses, not from the thing that is being chosen. Because what is Pchira again? Pchira is not that the thing that's being chosen influences me, pulls me, compels me, so that I'm not choosing it, it's choosing me. Most things that we choose, we don't choose it, they choose us. They have a power, they have an appeal, they say, come, (laughs) <laughs> come here, choose me, choose me. Whether it's a piece of food, whether it's a career choice, most things that we choose, it chooses us. So that's not Pchir. 
Real bechira is something that comes completely from the chooser, not from the chosen. Because again, what is bechira? Free choice. We're not talking here a regular choice. Free, free, free choice is something that really can't even define as choice. It's who I am in my deepest, deepest place that goes even deeper than my nature and therefore I can't unchoose it. Choice means that it's completely me without any external influence, not even the influence of genes, not even the influence of, of, of n- nurture, not even the influence of my ideas. So Pchira comes completely from the chooser. So it's not from the goof, it's coming from Hashem. He says that's true. But since it's the Pchira of Atmos, of Hashem, so this becomes the reality of the goof. Because wherever Atmos, wherever Hashem's essence is communicated and is manifested, there's no space for anything outside of it. It's everything. It's the reality of everything. So when Hashem chooses the body, that becomes the reality of the goof. That becomes the reality of the body itself. If so, we now come back to our question about davening and our question about Menachemov. Tess, 220. Page two twenty what we learned from here is that when a Jew davens and asks Hashem for the needs of his body or her body, and that includes everything that sits in my body, everything that's connected to my body, and we asked earlier that that contradicts what the Magid taught, the Mezircha Magid taught, that the only way to daven is to focus on Hashem's needs, on what the Shekhinah needs, on the head of all heads, on the source of all sources. That's what you should focus on, not on your own needs. And yet davening, according to Allah, is completely focusing on my needs. So yes, if I don't have any needs, then the only thing to daven for is God's needs. But a Jew who has needs, and a Jew who has very physical, practical, concrete, emotional, mental needs, that's what I have to daven for. So now we understand that there's no contradiction. On the contrary, when there's something missing, when there's a void in my physical goof, in your physical goof, in our physical goof, in our physicality, in our body, that touches, that affects, so to speak, not just God's revelation, like when there's something missing in the spiritual needs of the soul, which is a chelik eloikamimal, it's a part of the shechina, the soul is part of the shechina. So when there's something missing in the neshama, there's something missing in the revelation of godliness. He says when there's something missing in the guf, there's something missing, so to speak, in the true essence of everything. In Hashem Himself, Kivayachal, if we could say so. Because Hashem chose the physical goof of a Jew. And if Hashem chose the physical body of a Jew, 
So that is who Hashem is. That is, so to speak, part of what Hashem is. So if your goof is missing something, who's missing it? Something is missing kevayachel in Hashem's deepest essence. So now when a Jew feels, experiences the void that he or she is missing, even in their physical life and their physical body, and that's causing you to dive into Hashem, you turn to Hashem. And you say, Hashem, help me with this. So I may be focused only on my own challenge, on my own pain, on my own suffering, on my own anxiety, on my own stress, on my own confusion, on my own challenge or difficulty. But what the Magad is telling you is that if you go deeper and you understand who you are, you'll understand that on a deeper level and on a truer level, you know why you're really davening? You say, I'm davening because because me, because this is bothering me. He says, that's true. But if you go deeper into that, you will discover that you know what you're really davening for? Your inner core, your inner layers experience who you really are in the truest place. And that is Atmos. Atmos chose you. Atmos means Hashem's essence chose you. And what do I mean by you? I mean your goof, your physical goof, Atmos chose. And because you know that deep inside, you know that, I don't mean you know it necessarily intellectually, but your goof knows it in a very visceral, deep way. Maybe it's not so conscious always. Maybe it's not conscious. But he says, if you go deeper, you experience the truth of who you are. The truth of who you are is Atmos. Because when Atmos chooses something, that becomes you. Because there's no outside of Atmos. Hashem is everything. Hashem is reality. So if Hashem chooses something, even though that choice comes from Him, not from the goof, but that becomes what the goof is. So when I'm feeling pain in the goof, I'm really feeling the pain of Hashem. That's what I'm feeling. And that's what I'm davening for. So the Magad says, I want you to realize what you're really davening for. And then the davening is a different davening. Because it's not personal. I'm davening for Hashem. And that's why we tell every Jew, no matter who he is, no matter who she is, no matter any circumstance they're in, not necessarily the spiritual saintly Jew who lives higher than the world. We tell every Jew, don't get up to daven, only from a place of Kovid Reish, which means the heaviness of the Reish, of the head of the world of the Shechina, as by Im Kenda Zayn, Ubemela Dafta Zayn, Eich Zayn Kavona Gluya. He is capable, and because he is capable, he should strive to this, that this should be his conscious Kavona, his conscious mindset, his conscious awareness. Adas Vosebet Srochov, Kalal Eich Srochov Agashmem, is Vailas Felt Kivayachal in the Mimal Mamish. In them, that what he's asking for his needs, and we're talking about again, even physical needs, material needs. It's because what's missing, there's something missing in the mimal. And which aspect of the mimal? In the mimal mamish. In the mimal mamish, the atmos of Hashem, the, the, re, the real, the ultimate mimal. 
And the word mamish means mamish, like really mimal. It's just, that's like the essence of Hashem. And mamish also comes from the word mimush, which means lemamesh, you can touch it. It's the mimal, it's the atzmus that you can, that you can touch. In other words, the guf, the physical guf, that's where the bchira was. So now we come full picture. Once we established that the bchira is in the guf even more than the neshama, in other words, it's the way the neshama is in the guf. The bchira is the way the soul is in the body, not just the soul in heaven. The way the soul is manifested, but in the physical body, in the guf itself. And we establish that what does bchira mean? Bchira means that it's a choice that comes from absolutely no influence. No influence whatsoever. Not even the influence of nature. That's why we call it free. It's free of any, any influence. You're not forced by anything. And if my nature is causing me to choose it, of course I'm forced. This is my nature. So it's not a free choice. My nature is compelling me to do it. It's not free. That's why I choose so many things, because this is my nature. You have a different nature. You choose other things. From all of our different tastes and desire and things that we choose in life, it's because of my nature. But real bchira goes beyond nature. Beyond, therefore, anything that has any fixed identity, any feature. Where does that exist? Only in Atmos. So when you say Hashem chooses something, why does He choose it? Is He forced? No. Is something influencing Him? No, nothing influences Him. So where's the choice coming from? This is who He is. And there's no He without it. Because this is what choice means. So it's the most absolute connection in the world. It's the deepest connection. And this is what the goof of a Jew is. So the Rebbe says, now we understand there's no contradiction between the two definitions of davening. Davening the way it's in halacha and davening the way it's in chsidus. The Magi teaches us, Alpi chsidus, what is davening? You're not davening for your personal issues. You're davening for Hashem. It's not personal. You're davening for your children. You're davening for Hashem's children. You're davening for things you need. You're davening for Hashem's needs. It's not personal. You're a channel. Don't take it personal. I'm davening that Hashem's purpose should be fulfilled. That the Shekhinah should be fulfilled. That's what Chesidah says about davening. That's what the Maggit says. Halacha says about davening. No, daven for what you need. And if you're feeling yourself and your needs, that's what you have to daven for. And the Maggit says, no, daven for Hashem. The Rebbe says, no, that's the problem. Don't turn them into a contradiction. It's really the same thing. Because when a Jew is missing something in his guf, in guf agashmi, that which sits in my body, that's lacking, that touches not only revelations of godliness. When the soul has needs, the soul is a chelikelikamimal, the soul is connected to divine light, to divine glow. So this, a, a void in the soul is a void in God's light. A void in the body is a void in God's essence. Hashem's atzmos. Kvayachal, so to speak. He says Kvayachal because we have to be careful here with the words. Because Atzmas was Beicher in the Gufagashmi. So now when a Jew feels the Chisar in the void in the needs of his body and that's causing me to daven to Hashem, what is, what am I really experiencing? Why am I really davening? Because deep inside I know the truth. I feel in the deepest place in my body the truth. That Atzmos is missing something. That Hashem is missing something. 
And what do I mean by Hashem? Hashem's essence, which chose, that essence chose the Gufagash. What do we mean chose? What do we mean chose? It's not like he could have chosen something else. He had two options. He went into the story, this body, that body. Okay, I'll choose this. That's so, that's called choosing on a whim. So it's not a real connection. I just, it's like two apples. They're the same. I chose this. Why this? I don't know. It was close. So I didn't have to stretch out my hand. Or maybe I wanted exercise. So I stretched out my hand to get the further apple. So there's no real relationship to the apple. Here we're using Pchira as a euphemism. It's just like a borrowed term. When there's a connection with something that is beyond any external influence. In other words, wherever there is you, there is that connection. If you exist, that connection exists. Because that is the deepest you. In other words, it's a choice that is free from any influence. You're just free to be you. (laughs) To be completely you. And that's where the goof is. So when I'm davening, when I'm feeling a chesarin in the goof, what am I really, even if if I'm only in touch with my physicality, or I'm only in touch with my own stress, or my own anxiety, my own trauma, my own mental health, or something happening in my, with my child, something happening with a loved one, something happening in some aspect of my life or somebody else's life who I'm davening for. What am I really, really, what's the pnimius of what I'm experiencing? The void in atmos. In Hashem's essence, something is missing. Because He was boicher the guf. And that's what I'm davening for. And that's why we can tell every single Jew, the Magid says, don't daven for yourself, daven for Hashem. The Rebbe says, how could you tell this to people when most of davening is for themselves? He says, no, because that's really what is happening. You could tell that to people. Because when you're davening for yourself, you deep down know that that self, you don't know who you are, that self is Hashem's atzmos. He chose that. That is Him. It's completely one with Him. And that's a whole different type of davening. I'm not in this alone. I'm not this Nebuch victim. No, I'm completely one with God. This is God experiencing this pain. This is God experiencing this void. This is Hashem experiencing this challenge. I am His manifestation. I am His Bechirah. My, I'm talking about my guf, my f- most physical self. This is His Bechirah in the world. So I'm davening for Hashem. What's missing is in the Mimal Mamish, the Mimal Mamish, the Mamish, the Atmos, the Atmos Shaboy, the Atmos of Mimal. And that Mimal you feel in the Mamish, in the, in the Guf. And he says, now we come to Menachemov, Yud Aleph, Yud, the, the 220, the first right column on the bottom. Al Dead, as Menach Fashtain, the minion for Menachemov. Now we'll understand the whole idea of Menachem of. We asked earlier, the name should have been of Menachem. The father comforts. It's the month when the father comforts. Menachemov means when the father is comforted, when we comfort the father. He says, since every Jew is a child of Hashem, a ben, Pasuk says, and furthermore, there's something even deeper. The choice of atzmos is in the guf. And that's even deeper than an av and a ben, which is nature. 
You want to know, so how does God handle all this pain if it's atzmus? So, so let's see what Menachem Av means. Oh, very good. So now we understand what Menachem Av is, comforting the father. So the Rebbe says this, every Jew is a child of Hashem. Furthermore, atzmus chooses the guf. And as we said, pchira is even deeper than nature, even deeper than father-son relationship. So when a Jew feels the gallus, even the gallus, the way it's translated in a very gashmius, simple, physical way that relates to the body. What is the Jew really experiencing? The gallus hashchina. That is the gallus hashchina. My own gallus is not my own personal Y.Y. Jacobson, yes, if it's a Jacobson's gallus, or your gallus or your gallus. What you're experiencing on a deeper level, even if what I'm feeling is only my own gallus, my own problems, my own challenges, my own distress, my own anxiety, my own familial challenges, my own marital challenges, my own financial or health, the physical, emotional, my own traumas. What you're feeling, beponimius, on a deeper level, you were experiencing the gallus hashchina, the shchina's exile. Why? For the Indian gallus is nelekus kevayachal. Is not not in pchines shchine sheshaychenes or mislabeshes toich kol almin lachiyosin ulakaiman. Nor reared on them of bizin atzmusay his baruch kevayachal. B'shas has felt by idin in gashmi sarchi aguf kipshuta. Vos in them is pchines haatzmus. Welter fun me ein inyan von galus kevayachal in av biz atzmus amohos. Wow. We have something called Shechina. Shechina represents the divine presence that's Shechin, from the word Shechin. It dwells inside the worlds. It gives it life. It gives it existence. It's sometimes called Mamalik It's the divine energy that fills every piece of matter, organic matter, inorganic matter, to give it life. So I can understand Golos and the Shechina, because the Shechina is that dimension of godliness that is manifested and therefore vulnerable affected by the flux of our world, by the vicissitudes of humanity and of civilization and of the universe. But we're saying here something deeper. The Jew is a child of Hashem. And a child is connected to the father, to the mother, in their essence. So the gullus of the child affects the father, it touches the father. And even deeper than father, it touches atzmos, because the pchira was in your guf. So it touches Hashem's essence. So when a Jew is missing something, even if that void looks like a physical thing, it's the needs of the body. But over there was the pchira, the choice of atzmos. So this creates, so to speak, kevayachal, if we could say so, a gallus in the father, and even an atzmos in the essence. So the gallus that you're feeling, that you're experiencing, is really the gullus of Hashem. It's the gullus Hashchina. You're, ask, you're asking a good question. You're asking a good question. So why is Hashem leaving us in gullus for so long? Yeah. You're, listen, you're asking a good question and we, we all agree with you. <laughs> it's high time that the gullus should come. And we don't really understand why gullus goes longer and longer. The point here that it's saying is that it's not that when you're in Gullus, you're detached. And it's your own pain and it's your own experiencing. This is the Gullus HaShchina. And this is Menachem of. 
You're comforting the father. So he said, what do you mean? Most Jews are not feeling the father's gullus. They're feeling their own gullus. He says, no, that you have to know who you are. Your gullus, that is the gullus of Shechina. And that is the gullus of the father. And that is even the gullus of Atzmas Mahus. Because you are a child. And therefore your gullus is his gullus. And you were chosen by him, which means you're one with him. So what you're experiencing, what you're going through, Kvayachal Atzmas is experiencing. You're just like a channel for Hashem in this world. You're like a tzinar, you know, like a pipe, like a, a, a channel through which atzmos is manifested in this world. So when I'm davening for me, I'm davening really for Hashem. And when I'm trying to come, I'm looking for my comfort, I'm really looking for what? Menachem of, the comfort of my father. Because that is who I am. So when I'm looking for my comfort, what am I looking, look, really looking for comfort? Comfort of Hashem. That's why in Kaddish, when we say Kaddish, what do we speak about? Let the name of Hashem be exalted. Who's talking about him? Why don't we talk about the person who passed away? People are saying Kaddish for somebody, a loved one who passed away, Rechman So talk about that. We talk about Yizgadol v'Yizkada Shmei Rabba B'chayeichin of Yemeichin Yehei Shmei Rabba Mavarech Lala Malami Almay Yizbarech why don't we talk about the person who passed away? That would seem more to more nurturing and comforting and appropriate. Like, what's the connection? We know God is great and his name is great and his name should be blessed and he's the master of the world and he's in charge of life and death. We get that. But why now? Why here? But the truth is we're not addressing Hashem in contrast to the person who passed away. No. We're describing the person who passed away. This is not just a death of a human individual who lived and died. Next. Every Jew is a manifestation of Hashem in this world. It's one. You're a child. A child is a continuum of the parent. So when a Jew is missing, what's missing in the world? When a Jew leaves this world... So to speak, Atzmos is missing. There is a death here that affects the deepest levels of reality. The death of a child touches the father in the deepest place. So Yizgadol V'Yizkadah Shmei Rabbah was like almost rebuilding God's name. We're aligning this human being's life. He lived, whatever the amount of years that he or she lived, we're saying it's not just a life of a physical body, a couple of years on this planet, move on, you get buried, and life moves on. No. Your life is part of Shmei Rabbah. The life of this person is part of the life of eternity, the life of Hashem. So Menachem of, when you're looking for comfort, you say, I want to be comforted. What are you really asking for? You're really asking for me to be comforted. And who is that me? Who is that I in my deepest place? That is Atzmos, that is Hashem. There's no separation. Yeah, the word is even more than sad. It's not just Hashem is sad. As he says here, gullus that affects the guf, it's, it's an experience in Atzmos. It, it's God, it's happening, so to speak, to Hashem. If we could say those words. It's not just he experiences the sadness. It's, this is him. So when I'm looking for comfort from my gullus, and I say, please comfort me. What I'm really saying is, please comfort my father. Because you're never detached. You're never divorced. 
The guf carries the essence. It carries the atzmos. So when I'm davening and I'm saying, please help me, and I'm davening for something connected to my body or your body, I'm saying, please help you. Please help atzmos. There's something I would also mention, add, that we only are realizing in literally recent years. And with this awareness, it becomes so much more powerful. There's that famous book that has become very popular, The Body Keeps the Score. And it's basically predicated on the premise that all of the traumas or many of the traumas that people experience in their life, they hold in their bodies. And therefore, we have to release it from the body. The body knows everything. The body keeps the score. The body contains and holds on to all of that trauma. So they used to think, no, you have to work with the mind and work with ideas and verbal communication. But today they know that the real work is actually in the goof. The body knows everything. It experiences everything. It holds on to everything. And it really, trauma sits in different places in the body. And it holds us captive. Those of you who are familiar with this or have do the work understand what I'm saying. And this could sometimes be so detrimental in our lives. We have trauma and it completely restricts us. We're operating from a very limited place, from a very narrow space. Our reactions are very predictable. We have very little bhira because our trauma is running the show. Our relationships with our spouses and with our children and with ourselves and with God and with our siblings and with our friends and with strangers. Our relationship to the world can often come from a place of trauma and that pain sits in the body and people sometimes are unaware of it. And they're trying to do the right thing. They're reading good svarim and they're going to good shiurim and they're trying to daven and they're trying to open themselves up. But sometimes they are paralyzed. They are literally paralyzed because there's something stuck. There's literally something stuck in the goof. And everything is being filtered through the lenses of trauma and through the experiences of trauma. And therefore, as much as I try to rise above it, I am like trapped by it. And I go back to those repetitive behaviors. And for different people, it's different. For one person, it's anger. I'm always going to a place of anger. For another person, it's I can't even feel the anger. So I don't even tell myself I'm angry. I just detach and space out because it's too painful to be in the relationship. Another person becomes passive-aggressive. Another person becomes violent. Another person completely detaches. Another person goes into depression. Whatever the reaction is, but I'm living in such a, such a narrow place, I'm not open to the full expansive consciousness that is available inside of me. So there's two ways of looking at it. One way of looking at it is, you know, your body is just really ruined and your body is, is your life is just, is just crushed. And what we're learning here is the opposite. That the body has everything because the body actually is atmos. <laughs> the, the body is deeper in a way than the neshama. The body has much more than what you process intellectually in your mind. The visceral experience of the body is connected to the core of all reality. And therefore, it is so important to nurture it, to believe in it, and to give it expression because it's actually telling you the ultimate truth. Today, we know that through the body, you could get much more awareness than through any conversation. 
all the therapy and psychoanalysis, which sometimes is very important for years and years, often pales in comparison and doesn't get close to scratching the surface of what's really happening through the goof. And people are wondering, why? Why is this? And here the Rebbe explains it beautifully. Because the goof contains the core essence, which is higher than everything. It has the, and therefore it's the access to all the secrets. It's the portal to the core itself, to the atmos itself, which is deeper than all the secrets. Hashem chose it. There's the pchira in the goof. And when my goof is suffering, when my goof is trapped, it's really a trap in which atmos is suffering. There's a gullus of atmos there. And that's what I'm davening for. What I'm davening for, it's not personal. It's not just me, my selfish issues. It's that atmos is stuck. Because the goof is a reflection of atmos. It's that Hashem's essence is stuck and that becomes stuck in my goof because there's so much potential there, because there's so much love there, because there's so much light there. And it's even beyond light. And that relationship is constant. Because it's the pchira. You can't undo pchira. Once you're chosen, you're chosen because it means you're absolutely connected. So this is what we're seeing today, the tremendous mile of the goof. Now somebody asked a question here, and it's a very good question. He brings earlier in a footnote from the Zohar. The Zohar says that when you daven, you shouldn't be like a dog that says, give me more, 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 more. <laughs> you should daven for the Shechini, you should daven for Hashem, like the Maggit says. So how does this fit here? How does this fit with what the Sikh is saying? I think that's what he's saying, that when you say give, don't think you're just a dog. Don't just look at yourself as as a narcissistic creature. And dogs are actually not narcissistic. Dogs can be very, very loyal. Kelev is kulay lev, right? Kelev, it's like the heart, man's best friend. But the point is, you could do it in two ways. I could look at myself and say, oh, it's just me, this is what I want. So the Magad is saying, no, what you really, what you really want is Hashem's needs. So therefore, that's what you should tune into because it's a much more powerful davening and a much more effective davening. Generally, when we don't take things personal, when I'm a shliach of Hashem, I'm a channel of Hashem, then my davening is a whole different davening. It's also in parenting, you know? When you start taking things very personal, it's like, don't say this to me and don't do this to me. We really lose the plot. When you realize that you're just a channel of God, these children don't belong to me, to my ego. They're God's children. I'm his channel. I'm the manifestation of Atmos. This is my mission. So I'm davening for my mission. I'm in a much more powerful state. I'm not a victim. I'm a partner. So davening is really Hashem davening to himself. That's what real davening is. Hashem, one part of Hashem is davening to another part of Hashem. I'm using dramatic words. You know, kivayachal. I say kivayachal a hundred times, so to speak. It's one part of Hashem davening to another part of Hashem. It's the guf davening to atzmos, which is, which is also atzmos. It's like Hashem, we're in this together. I am you the way it's manifested in the physical world. So let's get this done. Help me get this done. But it's not me. I'm a nebach case. I'm a downtrodden, dejected victim. No. I'm you. We're in this together. We're partners. The Gemara says, You're a co-partner with God in healing the world. 
And the first, the first person to heal is yourself and your loved ones and people you come into contact. So we're two, we're two partners. We're in this together. So like davening is like a partner meeting. You know, come, let's 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 do this together. Help me, help me do my part. So I can help you do your part. <laughs> you chose me, so I help you, and you help me. So somebody asks a question here. That there's a story. Somebody came to the Alter Rebbe. And he spoke about his needs. And Alter Rebbe said, ask not what you need. Ask what is needed from you. Yeah, I once said that President Kennedy stole that from the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe said, du frekst als was du darfst. Du frekst nicht was medav dir. Ask not what you need. Ask what you're needed for. Isn't this a contradiction to this whole sicha? You should ask what you need for. What you need. What you need. But I, I don't think it's a contradiction. I think that's exactly what he's saying. It's the same idea of what the Magad is saying. When you're asking for what, what your needs, really what you're asking for is, on a deeper level, on a deeper spiritual soul level, you're asking for Hashem's needs. In other words, what you're needed for. Because your needs are Hashem's needs. So the Alter Rebbe says, tune into that. Don't look at yourself as asking for your needs. Look at yourself as asking for what you're needed for. It's a much deeper interpretation. When you're asking for what you need, what you're really asking for, that's what the Sikh is saying. It's revolutionary. What you're really asking for is not what you need. You're really asking for what Hashem needs. You're not asking for your needs. You're asking for what you're needed for, which is to fulfill God's mission. Stalter Rebbe says, realize that. Talk about that. Address that. Come to terms with that. That's what the Maggit is telling us. That's really what you're davening for. Even when I'm davening because my finger is hurting. God is hurting. I'm davening for my own trauma. God's, it's God's trauma. Kevayachal. I use the word kevayachal, which he keeps on using here almost in every paragraph. Kevayachal means so to speak, because there's always uh, an important appreciation that we're dealing with, you know, pure infinity, which is beyond our brain and beyond our vocabulary. So I keep on using the word kevayachal, so to speak. It's, it's Hashem's. It's Hashem's experience. It's His galus. Menachem of. You're looking for your comfort. You're really looking to comfort your father. Because you are, you are a manifestation of your father. So the Rebbe told his chassid, ask not what you need, ask what you're needed for, because that's really what you're asking for. Can you tune into that? Because when you tune into that, and it's not personal anymore, you actually allow yourself to become a channel for that. You allow yourself not to get stuck because God is not stuck. So if you're God, if you realize what you're needed for, that you're a channel, then you're never stuck. And if you're never stuck, you're always free. So your davening is a different davening. Your perspective in life is a different perspective. Are you saying, somebody asks in the chat, are you saying that the Rebbe, the Alt Rebbe was asking this chassan to become aware that his need was really Hashem's need? Yes, yes, exactly. That's the depth of the story. Your need is not yours. It's not your selfish need. You're, if it's your real need, it's Hashem's need. If it's your need, realize that it's Hashem's need. And that should be your focus. 
Somebody writes, there's a great book called Feelings Buried Alive, Never Die. Beautiful. Yeah. And a huge smile and a good word are also so powerful. If Hashem is the one suffering, why doesn't he help himself? <laughs> That's what this young man asked. Ad Mosai, why doesn't he help himself? Yeah, I... I, I the zug's good. You're asking a good question. I think there's a lot of it we don't understand. You know why does gullus continue? But obviously, there's something here that's completely beyond what our physical brains can understand. But maybe our bodies somehow are connected to it. Very thankfully, somebody says the Jewish people have had great tzaddikim who knew how to nullify their personal egos and agendas, and these teachings had real meaning. But unfortunately, you do understand that the majority of us have egos. So therefore, we apply all of these lessons to our egos. We're incapable of differentiating between our egos and becoming imperson- and making it impersonal and realize what we share with Hashem. So I think that it would be better if you change your class and you change your course. Your course should be to help us work on nullifying our egos by becoming aware of our wretchedness and our nothingness as creatures. And then after you teach us how nothing we are and how wretched we are, wretched we are, then teach us that we're expressions of Hashem. Rabbi Waiwa, you begin by teaching us we're expressions of Hashem and you feed the ego. Nobody gets help by this because we don't know how to differentiate between our ego and God. Wow. Nice, nice. Yeah, but he's not, it's not true when he says nobody gets helped by this. <laughs> it's, not, it's not all or nothing. It's good what he's saying, but it's not all or nothing. <laughs> so you want me to give a course on how to nullify our ego, become aware of our nothingness, and how we are wretched. Somebody says, we learned in a, in a shir a few years ago, Rabbi Akiva was happy when he saw the destruction because he recognized the future. The future would be amazing and this is part of a plan. So the pain was the beginning of the renovation. It doesn't mean that he didn't feel the pain. Rather, the pain he saw as the beginning of something much bigger. And maybe Rabbi Akiva felt the pain in a deep way. He felt the pain as an atmos, And therefore he understood that this pain is not eternal. God is not stuck. It's just part of a journey towards Geula. And we all have a mitzvah to be besimcha. Even on Tisha B'av, when we grieve, we still serve Hashem. And we serve Hashem with an element of joy. Because we know that everything is still connected and we're always connected. This shear is bringing up so many, so many questions for me. But I had the feeling I should be patient. Inevitably, as you moved along, my questions were being answered one by one. It just brought home for me now how lucky we are to have the gift of Torah and the gift of learning reality through the lens of Torah, through the lens of Chassidus, and through the lens of the Rebbe's eyes. It's a serious journey. It's a challenge for me. I have to grow constantly to understand this, to implement it.
the questions on top of questions, a dizzying amount of sources. But at the end of it lay an illumination that would not be possible without the journey. Sure, someone can give over a nice insight of these sikhs. It would be deep and even revolutionary. I have to say, learning it inside with you, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, makes me dizzy, confusing, full of questions. But there's a reward for learning it inside. Learning the actual words, learning the Rebbe's words, it brings out a much deeper level of appreciation for this entire approach to Judaism and Torah. It answers a long-time question I had about the concept of the Shechina in Galos. This is very heavy stuff. Somebody says here that, yes, he can give a course on negativity and how we're all nothing, but I think that we tried that already and it failed. So we have to try a new approach. <laughs> okay. This is going on in the chat, by the way. Everybody could see what's going on. I'm not making up these questions. Yeah. I just want to say to my dear friend who suggested that we do much more, uh, we talk much more about nullifying the ego and, and crushing the ego and and how mortal and frail and nothing we are, and God is everything. And and then we can go to the next level. There's no question that people can take these ideas wrong. There's no question. Every big and every precious idea can be misconstrued, and a person could walk away and say, yes, my ego is God, and everything I want is God. So now I'm going to come into my house and tell my wife what to do and tell her, God is telling you to do this. <laughs> and then you're going to speak to your children, and when they're going to say, hey, who's calling? Oh, God is calling. And God told you to do this. And if not, you know what happens, right? Um, you know the story, right, about the guy who was <laughs> he was trying to marry off his daughter to somebody, and he... He meets the proposed son-in-law and they have a two-hour conversation and he finishes and he comes home and his wife says, no, how is it? What the, well, you know, what type of boy is he? And he says, listen, there's, you know, there's bad news and there's good news. He says, well, what happened? <laughs> he says, you know, I kept on, uh, I kept on asking him, what are you going to do for a living? And he says, God will provide. And, and I said, you know, when you have kids, he said, God will provide. And, and how are you planning to buy a house? And he said, God will provide. So he says, listen, the bad news is the guy doesn't have a job. And the guy is not planning to ever get a job. The good news is that he thinks that I'm God. <laughs> That's the good news. Of course, these ideas can be misconstrued. But let me just tell you from my experience as a teacher for many, many years, with different ages and different demographics. And by the way, Jews and also non-Jews. In most cases, when you explain to somebody that they are an expression of Hashem, and you explain it in a way that at least can be relatable, which at least we try to do with God's grace, I hope it's somewhat successful, at least a little bit, I don't think most people go away with bigger egos. I have never seen it. I have never seen somebody tell me, I learned in Chassidus that I'm a channel for Hashem and I came home 
and my kid did something wrong and that I slap him up with anger because I realized that I'm God and what I say is God. I mean, unless somebody who's unfortunately suffering from a serious issue and then it has nothing to do with this class or that class. On the contrary, I find that when people really discover that they are channels of Hashem, it gives them a much deeper sense of empowerment of how powerful they are, how deep they are, how good they are, and how much in control they can be, and that they're not victims to their own mediocrity. That's the point. We become angry. We lose it. We detach from life. We space out, right? We run away because we don't realize who we are, because I'm stuck in my trauma, because I'm stuck in my childhood story. Because I'm stuck in my abuse. Because I'm stuck in my pain. I'm not blaming me, but I'm stuck. I'm stuck. How do I get unstuck? So now, I could come and tell you, you're a nothing. You're a garnish. You know, you could drop dead like this. And you know what? It's true. You could drop dead like this. And what are you made up of? And who do you think you are? And, and, and you're blind and you're foolish and you're mortal and you're frail and you're weak and you're wretched and you're an addict. By the way, I don't mean you. I mean whoever. Right? We could say that and you know what? There, there's a truth. It's true. It's important to be humble and to be aware and to be mature and to understand our vulnerabilities and our frailties and how low people can be and how destructive people can be. But I feel what people need to hear is something much deeper. You're not stuck. When I tell you that you're a loser and you're a nothing, that's, that's, that's what you've been telling yourself your whole life. In fact, I don't find people with big egos today. I find a lot of people with very shattered egos, very shattered egos. In fact, I think most of the egos that I see is because people don't like themselves and they have to create a substitute story. When you realize that you're a channel of Hashem, you can actually be humble because you don't have to create a substitute story for yourself. You could just be a channel. So you can actually be humble. I could say, I'm sorry. I could say, I made a mistake because I'm not going to (laughs) die. I'm not going to lose it. I can be vulnerable. I can be real because at my core, there's a real existence. So from my experience in teaching, I find this to be psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually much more helpful for people to serve God and to serve God with joy and to learn Torah and do mitzvahs and bring light into their life and into the world with more passion. This is my perspective, and I know that there may be other perspectives, so I don't mean to uh, delegitimize another perspective. I get what you're saying, and I appreciate that you shared it with me candidly. I'm just sharing with you my own experience of teaching for two decades, for more than two decades, close to three decades. And each year I see this more and more and more with myself. I'm not just talking about other people. I'm talking about myself too. I also got traumas, right? That's why I talk about that. I'm not just talking about other people. So I see it with myself and I see it with, with, with most people. Again, maybe you have a different perspective and you're seeing that people are taking all this wrong, but I, I just don't see that. 
I don't see anybody coming home from these classes. Actually, they're all home already. Coming out of the room of the Zoom and telling their wives or their husbands, by the way, Rabbi Yy just told me that I'm God, and therefore there's no arguing with me anymore. Because if you disagree with me, you're disagreeing with God, and the punishment for that is stoning and burning and, de- and, and beheading and strangulation. And if there is somebody who's doing that, so then... We, 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 we need serious help, and I think it goes beyond this sheer. <laughs> somebody says, I want to say something else. When somebody sees themselves this way that we're describing here in this sheer, it also changes how they see others. When you know who you truly are, you can look into your child's eyes and see who they truly are. It changes the way you perceive reality. This is not about a selfish ego. When you learn in this sikha that your guf is a manifestation of atmos in this world, that also means your spouse's body. It also means your child's body. It also means somebody else you come in contact with. It means that you look people in the eyes and you see them in a completely different way. I think this is the greatest path to transcending your ego and becoming a far more caring and loving person. This is the perspective of another very special student of ours. Okay, so I'm going to uh, let you take a break and move on with your amazing day and beautiful day to be a partner of God and healing the world and uh, healing ourselves and bringing comfort to the Father, which is bringing comfort to the child who is one with the Father. Reb Shalom, nice to have you back. We missed you. We spoke about Reb Shalom Kaliner. You heard that shir about Rav Shlomo Kalina? Yeah, I heard that shir. Thank you. I really appreciate that you teach of joy. You don't want me to teach that you're a wretched? You don't want me to teach that you're a wretched soul? Like you say, they already know that I'm a wretched soul. <laughs> the truth is, I take these questions very seriously because... Everything has its place, you know? And there were approaches of Musser that were very harsh and some holy people who, who took that approach. Today, I'm not, you know, today I think it's less effective. Some people argue with me. I don't see it to be as effective, but, uh, but I appreciate it. I still appreciate it. Thank you, Rabbi. I think that today with everything going on, you need your derech much more. And I know for me, every morning when I get to listen to Shir, it gives me that shot in the arm that I can mamish. Continue my advice, Hashem, Simcharamba. Right. Somebody just, somebody wrote a beautiful footnote in, in the comments on the yeshiva.net. There's 19 comments today. 19. I was reading the questions from Zoom. But somebody writes here beautifully that um, somebody asked about Shemtev, that in Zayar it says that people who ask for their physical needs are like dogs who just want more food, more food, more food. And yet the Zayar also says that when a Jew needs something physically and he doesn't ask, it, there's a void in a muna. Because you should ask Hashem, even for the most physical thing that you need. So the Toldus Yaakov Yosef, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef of Puna brings an qu- answer from the Baal Shem Tev. He says that when a Jew has pain, Hashem is in that pain. The Shechin experiences that pain. So when a Jew is missing something, 
The Shechina is missing something. So you have to daven because the Shechina is in pain. So he says, if you just say, give, 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 because I'm in pain, then it means my consciousness is one of a dog. But when I realize who I really am, that I'm part of the Shechina, so what I need is what the Shechina needs, then he says it's actually a very deep spiritual and holy experience. So this Sikha really clarifies this point. Beautiful. He says it's from the Bosham to the Amazing. Amazing. Somebody says, I'm grappling with the issue here. We see here the extraordinary quality of the body and its connection to Atmos. However, you, you taught us the Mimer of Basi Ligani, Tavshin Chafal of 1961. And you spoke about the three views of the Ramak and the Balshemtiv and the Balatanya. And you spoke about the fact that the Guf needs to be a vessel for the Ur, a Kaili for the Ur, and the need of the fusion of Kaili and Ur. How is the Guf Atzmos when it's supposed to be a Kaili? You also said that Tfilah Bemunapshut is Mechaber Atzmos on Hashemimit Atzmos ain't Saif. So that means the Nisham is Atzmos ain't Saif, not the Guf. The essence of the Ein Saif and the essence of the soul. Davening with simple faith joins the essence of the soul with the essence of the infinite. But here you're talking about the Guf, not the Neshama. There you're talking about the Neshama, not the Guf. So if you look in the Sicha, there's a footnote that addresses your question. And that is footnote, footnote number 61. Footnote number 61 and all of the references noted there including Lekutei Sikhs volume 18 and Lekutei Sikhs volume 19. In this Sikha, footnote 61 is addressing your wonderful, wonderful question. It's not a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. Somebody brings here in the footnotes also something very nice from the Nefesh HaChayim. The Nefesh HaChayim, Reb Chaim says, in, that the, the, the essence of davening is to daven for the pain of the Shechina. Because what are you davening for your own health? God is more compassionate than you. If God made this person ill, it's certainly for your good. Why are you arguing with God? Imagine a, a sick person comes to the doctor. The doctor wants to help him and he says, no, no, don't help me because when you're going to help me, it's going to hurt. It's ridiculous. The doctor wants to help you. God wants to help you. What are you asking him to change it? So Reb Chaim says, you're right. But the main aspect of tefillah is the tzara hashchina, the pain of the shchina, ima yanaychi b'tzara. So it's actually, it's not just me personal. It's actually God in pain. Somebody also brings in the footnotes from Rav Steinman, Rav Aaron Leib Steinman, Zechit Tzadik Levracha. And he says that, uh, that uh, very interesting, I think Rabbi Avram Diskin, Rabbi Diskin said he was waiting to go into Rav Steinman and there were many Talmudic Chachamim waiting and then somebody walked and he didn't, he looked like even a secular person and he walked straight into Rav Steinman and everybody is like, everybody's waiting online and he just walks in. So after he left, the grandson of Rav Steinman said, no, that he was a doctor who came in to check something for Rav Steinman and that's why he went in without uh, waiting because he was a doctor, he was trying to help Rav Steinman, he wasn't coming just to ask a question. So Rav Diskin said, when I came to Rav Steinman, I told him, ah, now I understand why the Nefesh HaChaim, Rav Chaim Velazhina says, that when you daven, not just for your own pain, but for Hashem's pain, because you're a part of Hashem, every neshama is a limb of the Shechina. And when you're in pain, God is in pain. And the body is holy, the body is chosen by Hashem. 
The goof is chosen by Hashem. So when you're davening, because you're a manifestation of Hashem, and it's Hashem's pain, the Nefesh HaChayim, Reb Chaim says, your tefillah is accepted in a much more powerful way. And now I understand why. We were all waiting online, and this guy went straight in. He skipped the line, he went straight, straight into Rav Steinman. Why? He said, the answer is, we all came in to ask for our needs. <laughs> he came in to ask the Rosh Hashiva what his needs are. We all came in to ask for our own needs. He came in not to ask for his needs. He's a doctor. He came in to see what Rav Steinman needs. <laughs> he doesn't have to wait online. So he says, when we come in, we say, me, I need this, I need this, I need this. Okay, there's a whole line. <laughs> he says, when you realize... Because to get from the infinite to the finite, there can be a blockage. But when you realize you're, you're part of the infinite, you're asking for Hashem. So you're right there. You're right in tune with the source. You are the source. If you're the source. So then there's a flow of energy. <laughs> so Rav Steinman smiled and he said, but you have to be careful not to deceive yourself and tell yourself that you're weeping for the pain of the Shekhinah, and really you're just crying for yourself. What we're learning in this Sikha is one step deeper. And that is, even when you are crying for yourself, and even when you, you acknowledge you're crying for yourself, on a deeper level you're crying for the Shekhinah. Because that's who you really are. And therefore you're capable of becoming aware of it and living like that consciously. Such a beautiful story. Thank you, thank you. Beautiful story with Rav Steinman, wow. So I'm going to tell you goodbye now. I love you all and atzlocha. And we should experience the Menachem of Bekarev B'yameinu Mamash. As they say, as when I grew up, when I grew up, that's when they introduced the song, We Want Mashiach Now. <laughs> May Itaka be now. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.